This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No Nay Never podcast. This is Jason Taylor from Mr Meticulous, a local family firm offering tailored cleaning solutions for Hyman and the Ribble Valley. It's time to hand you over to Natalie and the boys for this week's show. Jamie, what have you got coming up for us, mate? Hello and welcome to the No Nay Never podcast. Thanks to Jason Taylor who provided this week's intro. James, Natalie and Kevin are with me, Jamie Smith. And we've also got Mike Landers who was one of our Kickstarter backers who paid to be a guest on the podcast. Um, We'll introduce Mike shortly, but also we have to announce our new charity partnership, which was another part of the Kickstarter. We're going to be partnered with Claritin Brew for the rest of the season. Claritin Brew is a member-run drop-in support group for Burnley fans who suffer from mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. I'll give you more details on that later. But first, Mike, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, well, thank you very much for uh, for having me on. No um, problem. Mike Landers. I've uh, been a, a, a Claret fan for, oh dear, 27 years now. Um, I think I've been a season ticket holder for the last three. Um, I had a, had a bit of a break um, from following the Clarets, but uh, my first... Uh, my first season was back in the fourth division, and just before we got promoted, the next season we got promoted at York, which is one of my favourite claret and blue memories of, of all time. Uh, every time I see that on the screen um, before a game, it, it takes me back, and that was a, a fantastic night. Um, thank you, as I say, for letting me on the podcast. I've been listening for a few years, more than happy to lend some support to you guys and, and to the Kickstarter. Um, I've got to be honest, I feel a bit like uh, one of those mascots coming on the pitch at the start, <laughs> you know, it's... It's a bit of a dream come true. Um, I'm nervous <laughs> in front of a big audience, and um, frankly, I'm only here because I paid for the privilege. So, uh, sure so thank you very much, and, and hopefully, I can contribute. It's a pleasure. Any other highlights from your time as a Burnley fan well, other than that I, night at York? I, I think I've kind of there was a hell of a night. I still remember. Um, I think the the main thing that I remember is um, finally also getting to see the promotion last year at QPR. That was that was pretty tense. Um, I never actually made it down to Wembley in 2009, I think, for the playoffs. I, I was actually on holiday, missed out on tickets, and, and watching that in a pub was in Manchester was was very, very weird experience when we actually got promoted. Um, and I think uh, I think in the last Premier season with uh, with Deitch, um, there was several highlights and games there. I, I I only get to about half the games a season because uh, of, of work and commitments and stuff like that, living in Stockport. Um, and I still have not seen the Clarence beat Blackburn. Um, oh, dear. I, yeah, I, I hope that that is something that continues for a long time, uh, simply <laughs> by us not playing them. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, we'll crack on with the podcast now. Burnley beaten at the weekend at home by Manchester United. Two goals in the first half by Anthony Martial and Wayne Rooney. So United to a pretty comfortable 2-0 win at Turf Moor. Burnley now just one win in 11 games. And Natalie Burnley just didn't really compete after the, the opening 20 minutes or so. After United took the lead, it was a bit of a foregone conclusion. Yeah, it really was, which was um, a massive shame more than anything. I think I think I was relatively pleased with the opening phases of, of Burnley's performance and I actually um, thought that we were going to go ahead and, and do something. And I had real positive belief that we were going to get at least a point out of this game. Now, 
it's really difficult to analyse this game because ultimately we're, we're playing United here and it's without doubt that they are an absolute class side and I think they really got their game plan spot on um, on Sunday and actually really executed that game plan very well. And when you've got players of that quality and you've got tactical um, infrastructure in place, and it's always going to be a very, very difficult game to, to try and get anything from. So on that sense, I kind of look at it and think, well... You know, you're going to meet teams in this division who are a lot better than you and you're going to struggle against. So I'm not going to give them too hard a time for that. But the one thing that has irritated me ever since watching this game is just the absolute crumbling once the goal. Once, I think once the first goal went in and there just seemed to be a complete lack of any self-belief and a real lack of desire from the game. And and it, it was genuinely over for me when the first goal went in, never mind the second. And that's really uncharacteristic of our side. They just seem to be missing a bit of spark and a bit of fight in that side, especially what we've seen at home. And I don't know whether or not that was um, nerves or whether it was something else or whether or not they maybe think that they're safe and they're getting a bit complacent. I don't know. but But that was a biggie for me. It was really disappointing to see. Yeah, I, I thought we started the game really well. Um, Mike, what, what what was your assessment of the game, Mike? United obviously have a lot of quality, even though they had key players missing. They just proved to be too good for us in the end. Um, I, I agree uh, to an extent. I think, yeah, we had a, a very bright opening 20 minutes. Um, uh, we'll probably talk about it a little later about Brady uh, having a, a very good uh, start. Where I slightly differ is... When the first goal went in, um, and this is not to say that Burnley were having a, a great game by any means, but when the first goal went in, um, we basically ran into what pundits like to call a Mourinho tactical masterclass, um, and what anyone who doesn't get suckered by the guy tends to call parking the bus. Um, the guy's tactics are always the same, um, get a goal and shut the game down. Um and if you can get that goal on the break, then fine. Um, he quite clearly had set up to nullify um, Ashley Barnes uh, by putting Fellaini on him. As soon as they scored the first, um, that stopped. Fellaini drops back. Uh, Barnes is left, you know, kind of like to just basically control the ball and pass it backwards. We're not the first team to come up against that kind of tactical setup and not look particularly good when we're doing it. Um, but I will say, I agree to an extent. Burnley were disappointing. There were bright sparks. Uh, Brady was one. Uh, Gray, I thought, had an excellent game. Um, but at the end of the day, they play a Deitch way in that they sit back, wait on the break, and um, they've got 200 million quid's worth of players in which to do it. Yeah, I've got to agree with that, Mike. I think I'm actually quite a little bit perplexed by some of the um, negative reactions to the, to the match. It was far from a, a classic performance. Uh, obviously there were certainly some, some disappointing elements but I think if you look at the game as a whole um, the first first 10 minutes I think we were the better team probably by some distance um, after the first 10 minutes so United started to get into it a little bit and it was only it was only a, a mistake a mistake well probably two mistakes combined really uh, that led to the opener one was bizarrely it was Burnley committing far too many players forward which is not something we've I don't think we've ever said this season on the podcast, is that, um, yeah, we committed far too many players forward. Um, and then the second mistake in that, in that move was uh, Joey Barton not not taking out his man. Uh, he should have taken a foul there. So there's, there's only those two, there's, there's two mistakes. It's not like we were kind of broken broken down systematically and, and eventually they got that goal. It was it was very much those, those mistakes, which are, again, pretty uncharacteristic of Burnley. Um, and although... We didn't get back to that the, the the level of performance that we started the game in. I don't think we were. I don't think there was, was really any point in the game where we were we were terrible. Certainly not to the. I've seen some people on Twitter saying that it was our worst performance of the season, which is ludicrous. Um, you know, we we still managed to to get forward with the ball uh, pretty pretty regularly. Um, we. <laughs> The problem, like my, like, like my identifier, we, we had no problem getting forward with the ball, but when we did, Man United sat back so much that there was just there was too many men in and around the box. It's exactly the same as what we do. What we do is when people are coming, teams are attacking us, we just stick everyone behind, behind, the, behind the ball into the box, and that's exactly what United did to us. You saw that every time we got forward, they had 
all four defenders in the box. We had three or four midfielders back as well. And we just couldn't create any space at all. There was a couple of occasions when Andre Gray managed to get the ball in and around the box, but he just had no space to turn into. He had no space to move into. Um, our only real opportunity of of really getting a goal would have been from a from a set piece. And to his credit, Robbie Brady's set pieces, I thought, were, were excellent. And there were a couple of occasions where we... It, an inch either side, um, the, the player coming in, and it would have been a goal. Um, I so yeah, I don't think it was a bad performance at all. I think you've got to remember who we're playing against. I think if this game happens three or four months ago, and it's not towards the end of the season, the, the reaction from some fans wouldn't have been the way it has been. I think it's purely that that fear of getting dragged into a relegation fight. I thought, I thought, it, on the whole, it was a relatively good performance. We just didn't have that spark to get through, um, get through the United's United's defensive tactics in the um, after that first goal went in. I spoke, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to this, but I'm, I'm sure the results going against us on Saturday made everyone a bit more nervy, and then the performance was probably viewed through that sort of filter. Um, I think Mike's spot on about United's tactics. They were quite happy to sit back and let us have the ball, and we've seen time and time again that we don't tend to thrive when teams do that to us. Um, on on Kev's point about Brady's delivery, actually, I think he put two balls in that we should have scored from. Bond didn't attack a fantastic right foot ball into the box, and the one that Ben Mee didn't get on the end of, he should be scoring that as well. I think we wanted more from Brady, but his deliveries were first class in that first half. Um, James, I suppose one of the reasons people have called it a poor performance is the fact that Burnley didn't have a shot on target. First time that's happened at home all season and we just never really liked scoring a goal yeah but what I'd say about that is that um, <clears throat> sometimes a shot on target stat can be a little bit misleading because you know um, it doesn't include stuff that's blocked obviously there's that great chance that Andre Gray had where uh, I think he was just outside the six yard box and it was blocked um, I'd say you know, that it really is a shot on target isn't it unless it's blocked and I know at some point you've got to sort of account for taking block shots out of it because, you know, if it's from distance, do you know if it was on target or not before it got blocked? Uh, but I did think we, really defensively, I think despite the fact that, you know, there were some players there that maybe Gray should be taking advantage of, we were outclassed a little bit at, at the back. And I thought particularly Eric Bailey in the second half was absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, but I'd say on the whole, it was, you know, the usual story, to be honest. Andre Gray looked pretty bright, but, He's feeding off scraps and he's not getting the ball in, in areas where he can really do much with it. He's working the channels a lot, but ultimately we, we're not showing enough in the middle and we're not getting the ball to, to grow in the middle. And I think Barnes, as you said, for that, that ball from Brady, I, I don't feel like he's attacking stuff. He's not in the position to to take advantage of you know some of the moves we're putting together. I think there was one point where Gray got a ball in as well from the right and there was just no one in the middle uh, you know, to attack it. And unless we get start getting players into those positions in the middle, um, we, we're going to struggle to score goals. Uh, you know, the, the Brady ball, that's one that you look at and you think if Sam Volks was fit and was playing, you'd fancy him to get his head on that. Uh, whereas Barnes, I think sometimes maybe he's more preoccupied with, um, you know, beating the man to the ball rather than just getting to the ball himself. Yeah, I, I thought Barnes was one of the few players he was quite poor. To be honest, I thought United's tactics nullified him completely. Yeah. And that was a really good chance from the Brady cross. But he you wasn't know, the only one, I think. We'll come on to it, but I thought Joey Barton had a bad game as well. Yeah, but I know a lot of people said Fellaini, you know, played played Barnes out the game and, you know, they nullified him. But to be honest, I think that's maybe flattering what teams think of Barnes, to be honest, because, you know, while Fellaini probably was told to, you know, play him at his own game, I, I don't think it's really that difficult for people to take Barnes out of the game. You know, if you play a little bit physical with him, I think he gets more sidetracked by trying to win the battle rather than trying to win the ball. Um, and, you know, we really paid for that, I think, because every time the ball came near him, he, he wasn't winning it and Fellaini wasn't always winning it, but it was just, you know, coming to nothing every time. Yeah, obviously Barnes had to play because Volks was not available through injury. So the Barnes great partnership that, I think none of us are fans of on the podcast. There's a little choice but to field it unless we'd have gone for um, a change in formation. Kev's already touched on this, Mike, but the United first goal when they broke away, Barton was chasing down Martial 
a lot of people said that he should have brought him down. Um, is that benefit of hindsight, or do you think it was obvious at the time? What, what's your view on that incident? Should Barton have just taken the yellow card? Um, I'm probably in a minority, but the answer is no. I don't think he should, and for two reasons. Um, one is it's not as easy as it looks. He's giving away um, three inches in height and 13 years to Martial. That guy, you know, is going to... Barton is not going to win that physical battle. And he's going to have to take... It's not like a, you know, just a, a little innocent trip and, yeah, I'll take the card and thank you very much, ref. You know, he's going to have to hack him down. He's going to have to drag him down. And it's not going to look good. So let's say he gets away with it and it is a yellow and, you know, refs can give red for stuff like that. He's now on a yellow. He's now got to face Paul, Bog, Paul Pogba. He's got to face uh, Ander Herrera. Um, again, with Pogba, he's given away 10 years and six inches. He's not going to win a physical battle there. The next time, you know, he loses out, um, he's off. And I think that was kind of playing, you know, on Barton's mind. No matter what Barton was doing in that midfield, he was not going to win a physical battle. He, he was only ever going to lose it. And people say, yeah, he should take a yellow and so on and so forth. I just don't think he could have done it. He, you know, he, he couldn't have done it and got away with it um, because he's, he simply was not, is not physically big enough to deal with Martial, to deal with Pogba, to an extent Herrera. And, and um, to be honest, you know, he's key in that defence for the midfield, as providing a defensive shield for the midfield. You know, he takes a yellow. Do you think Mourinho's going to turn around and say, Fellaini, start kicking him, you know? Pogba, start kicking him. See if we can draw him into that second yellow. Because if he's off the pitch, we have no defensive midfield cover. So, you know, I, I don't think he should have taken it. I think it's hindsight. You know, it's one of those where you just turn around and say, the guy's too good, too big, too quick. Too strong. Yeah, I, th I think it's fair to say that once Martial gets into his stride, it's, it's going to be very difficult to stop. Um, I think there were a few games in, I can't remember many this season, but certainly in his first year with us, that he got booked early and managed to see the game out despite being provoked regularly. Obviously, much better players for Man United, but I think he has done that um, before. Natalie Barton, Barton overall seemed to have a pretty poor game, misplaced a few passes, maybe could have given away a penalty for bumping into Rooney in the first half. He's, he's not in good form at the moment. Do you think maybe the, the FA hearing is having some sort of impact on him? It's It seems like an obvious thing to point out. Is it just a coincidence that this is all dragging on while Barton's having a really poor spell? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It's obviously... Um, noticeable to everybody that Barton's form has dropped significantly recently and he's had a, a poor four or five games on the bounce now. Um, it's easy to speculate that the FA hearing is um, is preying on his mind, but I'm not... I'd like to think that it isn't. I'd like to think that Joy Barton's faced way more than this in his career and he's faced way more... Um, he's faced tougher challenges and he's had to face a lot more media outcry. He's been... He's had to, to deflect away from criticism and media hype on and off the pitch for his entire career. So I can't imagine that something like this, when ultimately it's coming to the end of his career, he seems to have got himself a very good media um, career lined up for him when he does choose to retire. Um, so I, And we're actually now getting to the end of the season as well. He's managed to drag it out long enough that if it does end up being a lengthy ban, he's potentially only missing four games and you know not an entire half of a season. So in that sense, the, the logical side of my brain kind of thinks I can't see how it, it's it's um it's going to affect him that way i genuinely think that it's just the reality of the division we said this when we signed him as pleased as we were to sign him and i still think that he was a vital signing and i still think he's he's one of the most positive players in the club and he does um usually you know try and drag drag us across the line and he brings a lot of qualities to the to the side both off the pitch and on it um so as much as we were excited when when he signed him we all said that with a with a word of caution that we didn't expect him to be as effective this season as he was was last season because he 
stepping up a gear is another year older and he's um he's never going to be the best midfielder in the premier league whereas he was the best midfielder in the championship so i genuinely believe that this lack of form is just is just um difficulty of the of the step up of the division he's having to battle week in week out with some world class midfielders and i just think it's just you know is at the wrong wrong end of 30 and you know it's getting on a bit now and i think it's just struggle i, I genuinely do i don't think that the hearing's playing any part of it. I just think he's, I think he's got enough fight in him to see us to the end of the season, but I genuinely feel like he's just running out of steam and as much as his head's wanting to do as much as he possibly can, his body's maybe not competing as well. It could be. I think um, if it's going to be a big ban, which there's been a lot of speculation that it is going to be a big ban, that he's worried that every game he plays now could be his last game and he doesn't want to make mistakes and he's trying too hard and then he makes mistakes. So, I, don't, I, I think it's probably in the back of his mind how much it's affecting his performances on the pitches. It's difficult to say, I suppose. Um, James Dash Dash felt both goals were preventable. Um, I think he, he said they were both mistakes, basically. Kev's already said he thought Barton made the mistake for the first goal. Second goal, preventable again. Brady had a loose header in midfield. Just really sloppy. Yeah, I thought they were both really, really sloppy goals, you know, really preventable. I think we've already touched on uh, the fact that, that Joey should clearly, you know, bring his man down um, on the counter for the first one. Um, but the second one in particular, I mean, it, it starts obviously with Brady with a really poor header giving the ball away. But then, uncharacteristically, it's a pretty, even though he does save the first attempt, it's a pretty weak save from, from Heaton. And um, then, even maybe more surprising, I think Michael Keane's just really slow to react to the, the ball being loose. And, you know, you look at how much football uh, Wayne Rooney's played this season and, you know, compared to how much football Michael Keane's played. And you, you shouldn't be seeing Michael Keane get beat to the ball by Wayne Rooney there. You know, he should be the sharper player. Um, in fact, Manchester United fan today at work said to me he felt that maybe Keane was just giving him too much respect and, you know, gave him too much space. But I think the second one in particular, you know, you look at it and you think, we had a few chances there to, to clear the danger and we didn't take them. Um, the first, obviously, as soon as Bottoms isn't taken down, it's going to be tough to stop them. I mean, the four on two, it's always a difficult situation um, for you to defend from. But really, I think it was the second goal that you know put the nail in the coffin. After that, you can't really see us coming back against a team like Man United up from from two 0 down. Particularly as you know, Mike touched on the way that Mourinho likes to play games once he's in a comfortable position. He he sort of looks to shut the opposition down and obviously that's what they did and I think in the end it, it turned out to be a game where I don't think either team was particularly great um, you know I don't think it was our worst performance of the season as some people have said but going forward particularly it wasn't inspiring and I didn't think Man United were particularly inspiring either once they you know got what they came for I think it was a, a bit of a nothing game between two sides who didn't really look like they could do anything to advance the game any further than it's already gone. It's potentially roaming into the area of overanalyzing a, one particular piece of the game, but for me, Robbie Brady's header for that second goal was particularly disappointing. I think there have been a few suggestions that he's not quite um, at the Sean Dyche level yet. He's not quite at the... Sean Dyche demands a very particular a mental approach to the games more than anything, and there's been a few a few occasions when... Robbie Brady has perhaps looked a little casual, uh, and that goal was a big example of that. I think it was—I really don't understand what he was doing. He was out just outside the box. There's lots of uh, attacking players around him, and he just softly, just casually heads it back towards goal. Um, Without—it's almost as if he, he just didn't have think. He didn't look up. He didn't look around. Didn't think about what was happening. Um, and obviously that that directly leads to the to the to the goal. So for me, that was really disappointing. I hope that's something we can we can work on with him. Is is hopefully getting a bit more awareness uh, of what's going on around him. Because I think there have been a few occasions when he, that, similar things have happened in that um, he's just not had that that awareness and not had that sharpness and that um, Sean Dyche really demands that players are switched on the whole time. Um, and I'm just, I just think that was lacking in that particular, for that particular uh, move. And it's, that, you know, it's probably a bit unlucky that that ends up leading to to us conceding a goal. But if 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 you do that too often, then it will happen. Um, so that's again maybe perhaps overanalyzing. But I think it's something what 
was slightly disappointing from my perspective. Yeah, I saw quite a bit of criticism of Brady over the header, but it, it just seemed a bit extreme to me. Like It's a poor header and he's lost the ball, but the ball doesn't go in the net for about 15 seconds after that. You can't say Brady, Brady gave the ball away and then they scored. That's not exactly what happened. Um, we mentioned Brady earlier, Mike, but I, I thought it was probably his best performance for us, really. The delivery was really good. Um, in the first half in particular, it's just unlucky that he had a role in both goals, really, because it was his cross that United cleared for the opener as well. It was just bad luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I thought that he, he thoroughly deserved his man of the match uh, yesterday, uh, apart from giving away the ball, which led to two goals. I mean, at the end of the day, again, that's how United play. His header was unfortunate. It, it landed at the front uh, at the feet of... 85 million pound Paul Pogba and that guy can pick a pass out you know he can pass the ball through the legs of a you know a shopping trolley so I think he was just unfortunate Um, if that ball falls to pretty much any other central midfielder in the in the bottom half of the Premier League it is not going to end up in the back of the Burnley net I think it's unfair that people sort of jumped on him for that it happens so you know uh, but apart from that I thought it was a great game um, I agree with the point about um, him not quite being a Deitch player, but he was in the championship for the first four months of the season. He only joined us, you know, in, in January. It takes time for to fit in, and um, I personally was very encouraged by his performance. Yeah, I think he's probably not a Deitch player, but I think that's a good thing, really. I think we've got too many Deitch players. The fact that Brady's a bit more. Um, a bit more unpredictable and he's, he's likely to do the unexpected and catch players out. I think that's probably something that we've liked a bit. And it was good to see Good Munson on the pitch as well. I think it's probably the first time we've had two out-and-out wingers on the pitch since since Dash was appointed, really. Um, and someone else I'd like to see more of, James, is Stephen DeFore, not involved, unused substitute. Obviously, Ben Mee had to come off at half-time, so Dash only had two substitutions left, but it seemed to me to be crying out for the force to come on and maybe change the shape to four five one and try and get some control in midfield with United just intent on holding us at arm's length at that point. Instead, Dan Aggie came on and he tried really hard, but he looks a long way away yet for me. I'd agree. Firstly, on, on Dan Aggie, you know, I've, I've seen people crying out for him every game on Twitter saying, bring Dan Aggie on, bring Dan Aggie on, you know, he's going to change this game. And, you know, I think people are just getting maybe a little bit carried away. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, what it is that's got everyone so so excited. See, I know he's done well away on loan, but the Premier League's a you know entirely different beast. And the stick that Andre Gray gets off some of our fans for you know not having taken to it like a duck to water uh, just means I'm a bit baffled as to why Dan Aggie seems to be the you know the answer to everyone's prayers. But I. Yeah, before I'd completely agree. Um, I was walking away from the game afterwards with my dad, and he, he was saying that you know about Barton's game that maybe we needed someone with that you know that cutting edge of creativity. And I was like, you mean you know like before, maybe? And I think that's really what we were missing. We we're missing that you know decisive pass that could release Andre Gray. Obviously, I said earlier. Gray's feeding off scraps. He's working the channels a lot, and you know we need to be putting the ball in behind. And the player who's best equipped to to deliver those sort of balls in our squad is Defoe and we've not seen a lot of him um, recently and when we have we've seen him out of position and I, I know that some people there's a question mark over his work rate but you know if he if he can give you a couple of assists a game then for me he can be a passenger going backwards if you want you know you can play a, a midfielder with him who can do uh, most of the defensive work he, he's there for his passing ability and he's there for you know what he can create and I think we're just really lacking in, in playing those balls over the top that we've seen in the past. That's what Gray feeds off. And I think when you've got a striker like Gray on your side, you really need to sort of be playing to his strengths and, and Defoe massively, you know, helps with that. And I, I just think it's one of those that he's, he's not a dash player and he, he doesn't fit the, the mould dash wants. And ultimately it's, you know, destined to, to not work out. Do you know, it's really interesting to hear you all saying this. And one thing that's been really bugging me for the past few weeks about this side is that 
I completely agree with, with Dyche's work ethic and, and what he demands from his squad and what he demands from his players. And obviously the hard work and, and the, the, the real engine of, of the team is what's got us a lot of success here. But what worries me a little bit is that Dyche's insistence on being completely rigid with that formation and having wanting to have a side that's full of fighters and full of grafters and full of people who will give absolutely everything – doesn't work. If you're going to put 11 players out there who are 11 grafters and who are 11 um, players who will give their all, as great as that is, you're probably going to lose or draw more games than you're going to win. For me, he needs to find a balance and he needs to be filling his sides for maybe seven or eight maximum of those hard work grafters, but then affording himself the luxury of maybe three or three players, let's say, who are creative players who don't need to charge up and down the the field, who don't need to be those real grafters, who can just do what they do best whenever they need to. And James, you, you're quite right. Stephen DeFore is one of those players. We don't need him to be the uh, you know a George Boyd and run 45 miles a game. We can just allow him to just wander around midfield and in a dead ball situation, just put his foot on the ball and just make a pin-perfect pass and actually start some creativity. Um, Andre Gray, for me, is one of those players as well. I, think, I do actually think he works a lot harder than a lot of Burnley fans give him credit for. But again, Burnley fans don't like him because they don't see him as a team player. They don't see him as a grafter. Um, Whereas you see maybe Ashley Barnes as one of those grafters. But again, we can afford that luxury. We can afford to have these players, Robbie Brady, Stephen DeForce, Andre Gray, who can just go on there and just have the freedom to do what they want. If Dyche insists of having if Dyche insists in having eleven grafters on the pitch, that is when it's going to start unraveling and we're going to start to struggle in this league. I think you make a good point there about, you know, Brady as well. I don't know at what point it changed for Dash, but I think we saw the first promotion season uh, when we played Scott Arfield on one side and Cartley on the other side. People always had an opinion that Cartley didn't come back the same um, and Arfield did. So he sort of had that contrast where he had one person who was going to play back and forth both ways and another person who was maybe more attacking-minded. But at some point, he sort of switched that mentality to playing Boyd and Arfield the way they do uh, where they're both more about getting up and down and doing the work rather than, you know, the attacking aspect. And we've only seen him depart from that once or twice when, you know, uh, Goodmanson's been available and not injured. But for the most part, he seems to go back to focusing on 14, sorry, 14, four real workers in the middle um, who are going to do a lot of grafting, but maybe aren't as, you know, creative as uh, we may need. Yeah, I think at some point you've just got to pick at least one person who's got the chance to win you a match. And DeFore, for me, is is someone who's got that ability. I think the second half in particular, um, and I, I know I seem to talk about Dash's subs all the time, and to be fair, he put Goodmanson on pretty early. Um, but it just seemed to me that with United so content to sit deep that we needed someone who could unpick the defence and open the door and, Putting Dan Aggie on, like, I'm all for giving youth the chances. I was calling for him to play early in the season, but it seemed like he was just giving him minutes and just tossing off the rest of the game. And you can be taking all down to Man United, but you don't give up on winning a game, I'm afraid. So I was really disappointed with that. Um, move off the game for now, though, because we've still got quite a bit to get through. So we'll kick over to Natalie for this week's Tweet of the Week. Indeed. Now. This week's Tweet of the Week was very, very tough, purely because Twitter went into a little bit of meltdown after the game. It was insane, Sunday. wasn't it? Was yeah, it insane. was. It really, really was. And it's even, even worse on Saturday afternoon when yeah, everyone else Yeah, it definitely was. Well, that, that's exactly what it happened. I think some nerves have kicked in with it, with it, with the, the Burnley fans and, and listeners. I think you need to pull yourselves together because it's all starting to get a little bit too nervous and it was very Probably uncomfortable. Probably when Natalie tells everyone off. <laughs> yes. Listen to Bromers. She's telling you now you need to calm down and pull yourselves together. Um, no, all, all seriousness, there's a lot of nervous Burnley fans out there. And I get it. I understand why, you know, we're starting to, to get um, to the business end of the season. It's the first time we've got a genuine chance of staying up. And, and I think Bur- Twitter, sorry, went into, like I say, a little bit of, of dire meltdown on, on, on uh, Saturday and Sunday. So choosing this week's Tweet of the Week was a challenge. Now, not everybody will agree agree with my choice of tweet of the week this week just because I've chosen one that sits with my um, take on our relegation worry Um, and no doubt we'll come on to talk about that in a moment but my tweet went to Ben Summers who tweeted a good summary and a good 
um, reminder to us all as to exactly where we are. And he says, in our hands, however worrying form and performances, four points from the next four games, time to step up and get the job done. Ben, that is so true. It is in our own hands and we just need to get the points on the board and we will be safe. So that timely reminder and that positive outlook won this week's Tweet of the Week. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I mean, we've obviously slipped down the table and obviously results were about as bad as they could have been really this weekend. But I think Swansea, Hull, Bournemouth were probably all expected to win this weekend and we weren't expected to beat Man United. So we're in the position people would have probably expected. Yes, we've slipped down the table and been 16th now after Palace 1, isn't it? It's a bit worrying and we are looking over our shoulder, but... I don't think the weekend changes anything from our point of view, really. We still have to win one more game. We've still got two very winnable games at home. So um, I understand that people are getting a bit nervous, but I, I think it's a bit premature. If we lose at Palace next weekend, then I'll be willing to break out the panic button. Um, Mike, obviously, uh, Hull and Swansea have caught us up a little bit, but still five points clear with four games to go. How are you feeling about it all? Um I'm not worried. I think concerned is a, is probably the right word. But, I mean, I've, I've kind of been looking at the table and the run-ins and all that kind of stuff you do at this time of the year. We are five points clear of relegation right now. And I've said the R word, and probably that's a fine on this podcast. But we're five points clear of Swansea. You look at Swansea's run-in. Man United away, Everton at home, Sunderland away, West Brom at home. In a good you know, any Swansea fan is going to be looking at that and any any normal fan is going to be looking at that. And that's six points. They're five behind. OK, um, you know, three for Sunderland, three for West Brom, assuming they beat West Brom. I don't think they're going to beat United. I don't think they're going to beat Everton. Um, Hull, they're, you know, three points. They've got Southampton away, Sunderland at home. Oh, that's a gimme. Uh, Palace away, like we have. Spurs at home. I can't see them getting more than six from that. Um, so, you know, obviously we've got two away games, um, you know, <laughs> throw them in the bin. Um, but I, I definitely think, you know, three points from West Brom, West Ham, you know, that's possible. If we get three points between now and the end of the season, I think we're safe. I, I think the, the main thing is, and, and this is kind of, it's, it's funny how things change. We're disappointed right now to be in 16th. If you'd have said at the start of the season with four games to go, you're five points clear of relegation and you're in 16th place, we'd have taken the hand off. So I think the only disappointment is that, you know, we, we've missed enough chances to make it safe and make it secure and pull ourselves up the table. We're only three points off 11th, you know? So it's crazy, isn't it? We're closer to the top half than we are the bottom three, but. I think what's also um, disappointing is that we should be looking to get as high up at the table. Um, for every place that we get in the league, that's £2 million. And, you know, if we go up two further places, we go as high as 14th, four million quid. that's two players at 50 grand a, a week in wages. Um, and that makes a difference to our squad. So it's, it's funny. We, we sort of turn around and go, well, actually, I think we're in a good position. But you know what? It could have been better. Swansea and Hull have both got Sunderland to play, um, which is not ideal. But Swansea's next game is at Old Trafford, um, which is certainly not going to be the easiest game of the season. They do. Um, they've got a good record at Old Trafford in recent years. I've seen people pointing out, but United are unbeaten in twenty three now, so it will be a massive ask for them to win there. Yeah, and uh, following up that is against Everton. Um, they're at home against that. Everton haven't got. Um, their home rec- their away record doesn't quite match their home record, but it's still far from an easy game. Um, so Sw- Swansea's next two games are very, very tricky. Um, Hull um, have got, sorry, they're away to Southampton, um, which is certainly not going to be an easy game. Um, they finished the game, finished the season away to uh, at home against Tottenham. So both Hull. And Swansea have got some very tricky uh, fixtures coming up in their in their final four. Hull have also got Crystal Palace, who are in some phenomenal form um, at the moment at Crystal Palace. So, you know, it's very easy to look at 
look at what we're doing. But you, you, you look at that gap, it's five points. It's going to take us to have a very poor end of the season and also to have Swansea and Hull uh, both pull off some um, surprising results. For me, when you look at our fixtures, Hull's fixtures, Swansea's fixtures, and then you look at the table, I think we need to say, calm down a little bit. It's not at the stage yet where we need to be start worrying and panicking. Yeah, I mean, I think before Palace won at Anfield on Sunday, Burnley were about 40 to 1 to go down with the Buckies, which just indicates how people are a bit more removed from the situation, see it. Uh, the odds came down to 25 to 1 afterwards, but still, it's it's massive with four games to go to be 25 to 1 to go down. Uh, the Buckies have been wrong, of course, and we weren't fancy last season, etc., etc., but generally, you don't mean many poor Buckies, so. If anyone is that concerned about relegation, stick a few quid on at 25 to 1. Um, James, we've looked at Hull's games, Swansea's games. Uh, how do you see Burnley's games going, though? Obviously, we'll preview Palace in detail, but Palace and Bournemouth away. Yes, we haven't won away, but they're not that bad games, are they? West Brom at home looks like the pressure game. It looks to me like that's going to be comparable to Stoke at home, where we really had to win that match. It's going to come down to that one. I think that's fair to say. Sorry, I forgot to put my mic down. I think that's fair to say. It's. I think if you look at our games running in, and this is why I found it so weird the way people are reacting. I went out for a, a training ride on Saturday with the, the lads who were going to ride down to, to Bournemouth raising money for Barry Kilby. Um, and people kept checking the phone. Like every time we stopped, they were like, oh, this is what happened at Hull. This is what happened for Borough. And I was like, why are you... Why are you bothering to check? Because I I really don't see it as a a big worry. You know, you look at some of the games other teams have coming up, and they have much tougher runnings than we do. Um, yes, we haven't won away from home, but you know, if there was a place you fancied, you, well, two places you fancied, we may get an opportunity to do it. It's got to be Palace and and Bournemouth. You know, Bournemouth aren't seen as a strong defensive team, and I know obviously recently not been a strong attacking team, but. If, if we can go and, and give like those two games our all, um, and I think away from home now, we should be looking to play with nothing to lose to us. We shouldn't be going to get the draw. We should be looking to do everything we can to win because I, I, I do see it as that difficult for us to go down that really I'd rather see us do whatever we can to win than, than go and play safe and just try and prod out a draw. Um, and you know then you look at the games we've got left at home and West Brom, I think, you, like you said, it's going to be a, a huge game, but... We saw how we caught with that against Stoke, and you know I think it, it's winnable at the turf. You know, there's there's not many teams that have, have come to the turf and caused us major problems this season. And obviously we played awful at West Brom, and I think as a result of that, the players will feel they've got something to prove um, at at the turf to to rectify that. And and hopefully, um, you know, once we win that, I think. If we beat West Brom at home, or even if obviously we win on Saturday at Palace, I really feel like people should stop looking over the shoulder then. Yeah, you mentioned your bike ride there, James. We've been meaning to plug it on the podcast for a while. For people who, who don't know about the the ride to Bournemouth, you just want to tell people what it's all about and how they can donate, more importantly. See, we're trying to squeeze more money out of you again, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I actually, I, it wasn't actually intentional to do that. It was just a way of getting a point across. But yeah, no, so um, I think it's 22 of us at the moment. Uh, on, on May the 10th, we're going to set off from Turf Moor and uh, over a course of three days, going to ride down to Bournemouth. Um, the first leg is going to be Turf Moor to Stafford and uh, Stafford to Sarancester and then Sarancester down to Bournemouth. And uh, we're doing it all to raise some money for, for Barry Kilby's prostate cancer appeal. Um, obviously many Burnley fans will probably know about the screening events that Barry Kilby's put on at the turf um, and all the money we raise is going to go towards putting on more similar events uh, that Barry would like to organise at clubs in the North West um, and I think you know obviously these screening events are absolutely key um, it's an issue I think a lot of people don't talk about very often but obviously we, as with all cancers the earlier you can detect it the better your chances are of uh, of surviving and uh, I think what Barry's done uh, already with the two events at the turf and one at Deepdale uh, have been fantastic and I think there's been several people who you know as a result have been and, and got checked out properly at hospital and you know have ultimately maybe saved their life as a, as a result um, and 
obviously any money we can raise is going to be absolutely fantastic as I think up to this point Barry's mainly done it off his own back and uh, obviously he's a, a better off man but you know no one's got bottomless pockets and it is something that needs doing and obviously in this day and age the NHS doesn't necessarily provide uh, as much uh, sort of early screening of these things as as we'd like um, so yeah if any listeners do want to donate uh, my fundraising page is justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash james hyphen bird hyphen 23 obviously it's difficult to remember all that so we will stick a link in the show notes as well um i'm aware that we're asking you for money again but if you do have any money spare please consider donating because it's a massively important cause and james is riding all the way to bournemouth so that's got to be worth a few quid right yeah and um, hopefully it's worth three points as well from the clarets if they could i'd be devastated if i've rode 280 <laughs> miles whatever it is and then watch us get beat six nil or something I need to get you into a dressing room to say, if you get beat, you'll let these guys down. So, uh... should all be stood there with our bikes and be like, look, ridden this all the way from the turf, you better win. Uh, but, yeah. Good motivation. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like, you'll you'll be exhausted after this 270-mile ride and George Boyd will be sat there going, yeah, pff, nothing, I'll do that every match. And <laughs> <laughs> looking ahead to this weekend's game at, at Palace, though, Natalie, they're in fantastic form under Sam Allardyce. Six wins in the last eight games, I think. Um, they could finish in the top half, which is amazing considering the problems they were in when they appointed Allardyce. Um, I suppose from a Burnley point of view, the hope is that they think they've done enough now and maybe take their foot off the pedal a bit. Well, <laughs> I really hope they don't think that because I, I can't see... I can't see Palace players thinking that at all. It's it's not over yet. And I think they'll be equally as nervous as we are about maybe results going against them. And they'll also be looking over the shoulder at the um, renewed performances of Hull and Swansea. So I, I can't, everything is telling me that um, we're not going to get anything at the weekend. Um, so in that sense, you kind of almost hope that um, Hull and Swansea do, their games do go as predicted and they don't pick up any points because I think just flicking back to what we were saying before, if we lose, then it's, it's you know, it's fine as long as Hull and Swansea lose as well because that's still five points clear, but we're down to three games left. So obviously the games are running out. Um, I just, I've been saying this for weeks now when we've been going away from home, Um <laughs> But I think, sorry, I've been saying for weeks now when we've been going away from home that we're pretty safe and that we've got nothing to worry about and Dyche needs to go and just go for it and try and get this win. Um, what worries me a little bit now is that there's there's nervousness around, amongst the fans. The press are all coming out and start, you know, local press are all debating whether or not we're going to get sucked back into it and whether or not we are actually going to go down now. You know, these players will read these things and Dyche will read these things. And I do worry about some nerves and some uncertainty creeping into the players as well and and I can just see Deitch setting it up and the players setting it up to go to Palace and try and shut it out for a nil-nil draw and we're going to lose again it's it's such a tough game it really is and it's so frustrating that Palace have found this form and they obviously made that managerial change because it was looking like it was going to be one of the easier games that we've got towards the end of the season and now it's turning into our last two games being really quite tough um but it is what it is at the end of the day if you want to survive in this league you need to be beating these kind of teams especially the ones around you we've shown at home that we can beat better sides than Palace and that's that's no disrespect to to Palace but looking at some of the teams we've beaten outright at Turf Moor this season um, I know it's difficult away from home I know it's a different ball game but you just need to the players need to keep that belief in themselves and go out and say it's Palace and you know they, they've, they're playing well they're in fantastic form but so, you know we've been playing really well this season yeah we're on a bit of a downswing at the moment but we have got the ability to, to win these games and they just need to stop this silliness away from home stop the negative tactics stop this psychological barrier and just go out there and try and get a win um whether or not they do i don't know i'm i'm, I'm genuinely i honestly don't know i i wouldn't be surprised at all if we get absolutely hammered but then i also wouldn't be surprised if we get our first win it's a really difficult one to predict I don't think we're going to win away all season. I mean, that's pretty much decided. Um, yeah, I think the, the concern for me is that we do set up very negatively away from home and just try and get draws. We've picked up a couple recently, but I think generally when you play for a nil-nil, you get beat. Um, Kev, what do you think the approach has to be this weekend? I think Allardyce has talked about resting players for 
Palace's game against Spurs in midweek. But if they were to get a result in that game, that surely puts them safe. They've got 38 points already. Hopefully Palace are going to be a bit complacent. I'm sort of grasping at trying to think of reasons why Burnley can get something this weekend. No. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> you're wrong. It's just oh. wrong. Ed never abandoned um, me. No. <laughs> um, look, I don't think there's any, any chance of um, Crystal Palace be having some complacency. I think, however safe they are, or whatever it is, I don't think that. I think when you're in such a momentum, when you're having so many good results, um, so many unexpected good results, uh, in such a short amount of time, that's we can't factor that in in any way. I don't think. I think we just approach this. We will approach it like we've approached every away game. We'll go there. We'll sit back. We'll try to make things difficult for them. Um, probably won't work. Um, I think at the end of the day, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a difficult match for us. All away games are difficult for us. Um, Crystal Palace are in a lot of confidence. Um, of course, you know they've they've still got the same players that they were earlier in the season when they were uh, pretty rubbish. So, you know, we, we're still going to go in there with hope and we can get something. But being realistic, we're probably going to get beat, and at best, we're probably going to be hoping for not hoping for, but at best, we can probably realistically hope for. Is to get a good draw. Um, we can we can win the game, and we've got to be hoping we can do. We've got to be aiming to win the game. Um, but being realistic, we probably won't win the game, and that's not the end of the world. I think it's the remaining two home games that will um, secure our Premier League status, and the away games we've got coming up. It would be nice to get something from them, but it's not a disaster if we don't. We'll, we'll preview Palace, uh, pre- we'll do predictions for Palace shortly, I should say. Mike, what would you like to see as, how would you like to see Burnley set up for this one? Dash's obviously got some options, but if Volks is missing, then that's a problem. Do you think maybe go back to four five one for this one? Do you want to sit with four four two? Would you like changes for the team? Um, I think his options are, are fairly limited up front. You know, you've got Barnes and Gray, um, I think it, it it very much depends on what Palace decide to do. They've got Spurs this week. Um, you know, they, they, if they get a win against Spurs, um, I think they'll take their foot off the gas. Um, I don't know. I, I I'd love to see us set up four five one, and you know, basically be fairly positive, but you know, a point. A point and everything changes. It's as simple as that. So, you know, I, I, it's one of those roll the dice, see what happens. Um, I think putting Andre Gray up front on his own rather than sort of Barnes um, puts doubt in their mind. I don't think their defence is that good. But on the other hand, it's Sam Allardyce. He knows how to organise defence. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll do a job one day for England. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I'm not hopeful... Give me a point, I'll be the happiest bunny in the world. I think we'd all take a point from this one. I, I want to see the 4-5-1 again, I think, for this one. Obviously, we tried great up front on his own earlier in the season. It didn't work. But I think if you play great, and then if you find a way to get Hendrick, Defoe and Brady all behind him, I think that gives us a better supply line than we've had with the 4 4 2 um, at the moment. Still quite a bit to get through on the podcast this week. It's going to be a long and busy one, so apologies for that, but I do want to give some more information about Claret and Brew. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are partnering with Claret and Brew for the rest of the season as our charity partner um, through our Kickstarter that I'm sure you remember from us plugging every week. Uh, Claret and Brew, basically local organisation that gives men a safe space to talk about mental health. Obviously, men very bad at talking about problems like anxiety, depression, addiction. So the whole idea is that you can go along, talk to people who are going to be nice to you um, and support you through whatever you're going through. They meet various times of the week. Um, I think Mondays at Turf Moor in the afternoon. The website is claritonbrew.org if you want to check it out. And I thoroughly recommend it. They do fantastic work and hopefully we'll have someone from Claret and Brew on the podcast in the next couple of weeks to explain a bit more about how they got started on the work that they do. Like I said, there's more and more to do. So over to everyone's favourite part of the podcast, Kylie Corner, to hopefully lift us all back up after all that talk of relegation. James. 
What a weekend for County <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of relegation, absolute opposite happened at Burton, didn't it? I, I saw, and I wish I'd saved this somewhere now, I saw a tweet from a Burton fan after they signed Cartley on loan saying, Cartley will have to be the best signing we've ever made for us to stand a chance of staying up this season. Well, whoever you are, your dreams have come true. Where to start? Perfect. First, Cartley was on the bench. Disappointing. But what an impact when he came on. Plays the ball through to Marvin, for Marvin's mention, who exquisite turn and finds the bottom corner. And then, just to make the the, the former Burnley player connection even better, Marvin Sodell lays it off for County coming through the middle and County slots it home to, to make it 2-0. And obviously in the end, they, they won 2-1 and completed Leeds' Derby-esque bottling of the playoff hopes. Yeah, they're not quite safe yet, are they, Burton? Almost. It would take a miracle for them to go down. Not, no, I, I'd uh, say... Six you, points clear now. I'd put them in the same uh, criteria of us, really. You know, um, if they went down from here, something's gone pretty, pretty wrong for them. Yeah, and um, I'm sure people are well aware, but Rovers have it all to do. They're two points adrift. Two points adrift? Three points adrift? Even, even better. More... Adrift. Marvin and Cartley are practically relegated Rovers. All we yeah. need now is for Harry Redknapp to get his act together at Birmingham and it, it should all be all be done. Yeah, I mean, people have complained about us doing Cartley corner for the last three months, but if Cartley and Sordell help to relegate Rovers, I think we've been fully justified. Well, e- even I'll hold my hands up if this ends up coming <laughs> true. It's the only thing I'm clinging on to with this blooming feature now. Uh, if if, of, um, if they actually it does happen, they go down and, and Kylie keep Burton up. Um, does that mean we're going to start it again next season? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, oh, um, I'm trying to think of a, a a way to slip this in, but nothing's coming to mind. Brian Stock has just captained his team to to a championship. Bravo, Starkey. Well done. Uh, I'm not really sure how that was linked someone, to Mike's comments about next season, but nicely done way, <laughs> But it, it does remind me of one of maybe Jamie Smith's greatest ever podcast moments, which I'm sure will be in a montage at some point. But obviously, Brian Stock <laughs> is a very good man, isn't he, Jamie? <laughs> I thought you were going to say when we interviewed Brian Stock for Brian Stock Day. I don't think that was oh, a real that highlight. Was, <laughs> that, was, that remains my career, my career high point. I loved it. It was it so good. Brian Stock there to its most extreme point <laughs> and explain to Brian Stock what Brian Stock Day is. <laughs> People complain about Cartley Corner. <laughs> Brian Stock knows better then. than Cartley Corner. I don't think that's difficult. Uh, I don't we think should Brian probably... Stock did relegated Rovers though, so. Well, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, we got Cartley Corner. Um, stock subdivision? <laughs> Ooh, I like Stock it. Station. I think it needs Stock work. Station. Needs work. Oh, we should probably wrap the podcast sorry. up at some point. Like I say it's been, it's been a long lesson, so we'll do um, predictions for Crystal Palace away. Mike, you've not been doing predictions because it's your first time on the podcast, but you could probably still catch Natalie up. Why? <laughs> 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 that was unnecessary. <laughs> Give us a prediction for Crystal Palace v Burnley. I will tell you now, I've placed one bet in my life and um, it was when the, in 2009 when Clarets were playing away at Arsenal and I bet in reverse psychology to lose, I think, 4-0 and we ended up losing 5-0. So that is my <laughs> predictions normally. Um, I am actually... Okay, I'm going to be optimistic. I am going to go for a 1-1 draw. Excellent. Kev, um, give us your prediction and wrap up what happened the United game. Any points to dish out? Uh, my prediction is, I'm going to be optimistic too, I'm going to say it's going to be really, really, really exciting, um, goalless draw with not a single shot on target for either team or game. Right. Um, but, but last week's uh, for the United game, we had, this is groundbreaking, for the first time ever, Natalie was the only person to score a point. <laughs> no, <laughs> really? This is <gasps> remarkable stuff. Amazing, um, I did not know this. This is really exciting. Story. Hey, don't um, get off my glory, Smith. I'm having a moment. So Natalie's uh, reverse psychology didn't work, but it worked for her. Oh. Um, she predicted a 2-1 defeat. Yes. Um, 
and sadly, uh, sadly for her, we didn't, we didn't score, so she only got the one point, which means she's now up to six points. Yay! <laughs> and that's like that's actually that's two points out of two games, Natalie, which is a remarkable run of form for you. She's on fire. All right, on fire. all right. She okay. still win. More important. Um, so four points still play for. Sadly, I don't need um, to not win. I just need to not lose. I don't want to do this forfeit. So sadly, um, I'm I'm still on twenty two points at the top. Jamie, Jamie's in second still, fourteen points. Uh, James on nine points. Natalie still comfortably last. Um, it's not that comfortably. Points. I'm only three points away from Birdie. You'd have to get fifty percent of your in the last four games. You'd have to get fifty percent of the points you've got right, all season. But it's possible. It's entirely possible. It's yeah. I mean, it's possible that Burnley could win all all four games six nil, but it's not going to happen. And it, and also, if Burnley win every game, then obviously I'll probably end up seeing it ahead of you anyway, because that's why I've not got many points. I assume you're going to predict to win this weekend, James. Of course. <laughs> Go on then. Uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a tough game, but ultimately we're going to come out on top two-one. It's it's bold how James is sticking to this strategy despite Natalie catching him up. <laughs> Natalie. Well, you got a bad feeling about this? I've got a really bad feeling oh. about this. Oh, I just can't see anything other than an absolute hiding. Barely have not won all season away from home. I've no turnstiles to fall back on. I've got nothing. All I've got is my doom and gloom, reverse psychology. I've got a bad feeling. I think Burnley are going to get absolutely trounced. It's going to be 3-0 to Palace. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I'm also going to predict a defeat. I'm going to go 2-0. Um, to Palace, the away format, I just can't see us getting anything in Palace. I think we'll save plays against Spurs, go all out to beat us, and that will put them completely safe. So that's what I'm going to go for. One last plug. I know we've plugged about a million things on the podcast this week, but Kev, our live event is coming up less than two weeks' time now after the West Brom game. Fill everyone in again because you need to get a ticket soon if you want to come along. Yes, uh, tickets are going uh, going really well. Uh, say less than two weeks ago now, after the West Brom game at the Turf Moor, um, we've got our the first our first exciting, our first live po- interactive podcast event. So yeah, we'd really love to see you coming. I think the the West Brom game now is is it's starting to look like it's going to be a really, really, really important game for us. Um, so it'd be really great for you to come along and discuss uh, discuss the match. Hopefully, we'll all be in good spirits um, in the Jimmy McElroy stand after the game, celebrating uh, the win that keeps us up. That's what we're all hoping for. But yeah, we're going to have, you can come along, vote for your uh, player of the season. Uh, we'll talk about the game and the season as a whole. We'll have a Q&A, we'll have some quiz quiz action as well. Uh, tickets are free. You can get a VIP option as well. Uh, but if tickets are, the, the standard ticket is free. So yeah, come along. We, we'd really love to see you there. The, uh, the, uh, the link is in the show notes. Yeah, Mike's going to be there as well, so if you've enjoyed listening to Mike <laughs> on this week's podcast, come along and meet Mike, as well as all your favourite non and ever panellists. Uh, this this feels a little bit like um, uh, a talent show where they've just suddenly found that must be Susan Boyle or something. <laughs> that was your comparison. <laughs> wow, yeah. I'd just like to make it clear that none of us made that suggestion at any point, Mike. You're on your own with that one. Uh, we like are also. Yeah, I've I've got the hair for it. No, I am I am looking forward to it. Um, it's uh, it, it should be a, a good laugh, and I encourage people to come down and and see the the team in action. And I will lift the veil, the curtain a little bit on the behind the scenes stuff. It's going to be entertaining. That wasn't the agreement. No one ever, no one ever <laughs> technical problems. <laughs> We're not putting the best display for him. Um, I'm afraid we are also very, very close to securing a special guest. Very, very popular Burnley player we're hoping is going to be there. Um, as soon as that's absolutely confirmed, we will announce it and put it on social media and all that stuff. So keep an eye out for that. On Twitter, as always, you can get us at net. You can also email us if you've got questions, feedback, comments, etc. Email address is podcast at net. As I said, please do check out Claret and Brew. Um, which helps to support men with mental health issues around the Burnley area. Please do have a look at them. They're our charity partners for the rest of the season. But that's all we've got time for this week. Special thanks to Mike 
who was one of our Kickstarter backers and came on to join us this week. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, Mike. Thanks also to Kev, James and Natalie who've joined me, Jamie Smith. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. Goodbye. That was that was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for letting well. me always. It's been great, Mike. It yeah, Mark, you did really lot, well. You know. Yeah, really, really well. You've had some really good points. You put us all to shame. Yeah, you've <laughs> <You've laughs> done too well. You've done too well. Too well. It's like, hang on a minute. We should have put like a caveat in our Kickstarter thing saying if you're any good, you're not allowed to come on. <laughs>